Alright, in Daniel chapter 7 today, uh, we start a different section and really even a different style of literature in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, uh, chapters 1 through 6, we're recounting the career of Daniel under three different kings. But when we come to chapter 7, the book of Daniel uh, takes this 180 degree turn and heads a completely different direction. It turns into end times prophecy, telling you what's going to happen in the future. Now, specifically, Daniel is a Jew. He's been a captive in Babylon, which has been then conquered by the Medes and Persians. So he is living, as we come into chapter 7, under the Persian Empire. But chapter 7 does this little thing where it takes him back under the Babylonian Empire, Belshazzar's reign, where he sees a dream or a vision about what's going to happen in the future. This is a Jew living in captivity. He writes to Jews what's going to happen to Israel. Very interesting. In his visions, he sees four kingdoms, the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greek, and then one fourth kingdom, uh, which he describes as more terrible and fierce than any other. It's the third kingdom, the Greek empire, that gives us our New Testament Bible. So all of that's being laid out thousands of years before uh, Daniel tells us about that. So why should we care about prophecy? Why should we care about what's going to happen to Israel in the future? So I'd like you to go to the very end of chapter 7, the last phrase, but I kept the matter where? What's the last verse say? In my heart. All right. Jesus is Jewish, if you didn't know that. And he has a love for Jewish people. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus referred to the book of Daniel, saying, when you see what Daniel said, you need to take notice and you need to be prepared. And so Jesus took to heart what Daniel said because Jesus cared. And the future of Israel is wrapped up in a kingdom. We're going to see that in Daniel 7 this morning. And you and I, we get to share in that kingdom. So we should take it to heart. We should have a passion for Israel. Some other reasons, the Apostle John in 1 John uh, says that if we have the hope of the future in our heart, then it changes us right now, it purifies us. So by studying future events, we can have a mind that's focused on living a pure life. If we know what's coming down the pike in that time of accountability, then we'll wanna be ready for that. And so it's gonna cause us to live purely in the day and an age in which we live. It also provides hope. The world seems to be in a, in a turbulent spin right now. 
Great Britain is going through tumultuous elections. Their prime minister resigned, and so that they've got all of that going on. And then you hear uh, the Russia-Ukraine war, and wars and rumors of wars and trouble throughout the world and trouble in our own country and, and so forth. Well, if we know that we're secure in God's sovereign plan, then we have hope. And we also have comfort. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, wherefore comfort one another with these words. And it's talking about future events. And so we can be comforted, have that peace of mind, and then we can have a zeal for people who do not know Jesus. We call those lost people. And Peter put it this way. Since we know these things, what manner of men should we be? If we know what's going to happen in the future, that should impact us now, that we should have a zeal to share the message of what's going to happen in the future. You see, there's a, an immediate future for each person in this room today. When you die, that's not it. There's a heaven and there's a hell. Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? That is determined already. John 3 says, He that believes is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So your personal future depends upon your belief in Jesus Christ or your unbelief. Now, there's also a day coming in which Christ raises the dead and the spirit is put back together with the body. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4 is about. And so we know that that's going to take place and we should have a zeal for lost people. So I'm going to try to keep the, the message simple today or just have three things that we'd like to share about it, try to introduce it to you in, in a relational, in a simple way. But uh, the language, when you get into prophetic language, it gets kind of confusing. It gets full of symbols. Um, and so let me give you a hint on how to read your Bibles. When you read prophetic literature, literature that's telling you about what's going to happen in the future, you're going to be saying, I don't understand. Well, just keep reading because most of the time, the interpretation in the keys of understanding are given in the text. And it'll interpret it for you so you can understand the basic details. You not, might not be able to pinpoint everything, but you can get the big picture of what's going because the text will tell you that. So and we're in Daniel chapter 7, and if you would um, look at verse 17, and so this will keep it simple for you. It says, these great beasts, uh, which are four, what are they? They are four kings, okay, which shall arise out of the earth. So we're going to read this and it's going to sing, wow, this is really strange literature. How do I interpret that? Well, 
God's telling you that four kings are going to come. And so that's what I was saying. If you just keep reading, it will interpret itself. It'll explain it to you. So let's just go back to the beginning of the chapter. And uh, we'll start with verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had dreams and visions of his head upon his bed. Uh, then he wrote the dreams and told the sum of the matter. So that's a summary statement. In the first year of Belshazzar, uh, who was the last king of Babylon, uh, Daniel has a vision. And uh, obviously this is when he's sleeping. And don't you like the cadence and the rhythm? Visions in his head upon his bed, right? Kind of has a nice little ring and a roll to it. But a summary statement. And so he writes down what his dream was about. And he'll tell us what's going to take place. So Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven um, strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from uh, the sea, diverse one from another. So Daniel's having this vision, a big body of water like a sea or an ocean. And he sees four beasts coming up out of it, and they're different from one another. Did he eat bad anchovies? All right. No, this is divine revelation given to him, so he can tell us what's going to happen in the future. So verse 4. The first beast was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made to stand upon its feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. All right, now, does anybody remember when Daniel had a dream previous to this one about four kingdoms? Do you remember in this series already? What chapter was that in? Chapter two. Daniel saw this very, very, very tall image of a man and its head was gold. And its chest was silver, its chest and arms. Its uh, belly was bronze and its legs were of iron and feet of iron and, and clay, its toes. And then from heaven, a stone came and smote that statue on the feet. It fell over and was ground into powder and it blew away. So if you read Daniel chapter 2, it's the four kingdoms. Daniel 7 is then repeating what God has said, but in different language. So these four kingdoms. Now, how many of you have ever seen pictures of the city gates of Babylon? Anybody ever seen that? All right, you know what their symbol is? It's a lion with wings. All right. And the king who was like a beast, but then had a heart given to him. What king was that in chapter two? It was Nebuchadnezzar. All right. You remember in his pride, he's like, is this not great Babylon that I have built? And immediately as he was speaking, God struck him with insanity. And he went around on all fours eating grass. Remember, he had the mind of a beast. Until seven years passed, and he finally 
humbled himself and gave glory to God. And then God restored him to sanity and to his throne. So this first king is Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. All right. So Daniel is still in that first kingdom. He's at the end of that first kingdom under the reign of Belshazzar. We talked about that in Daniel 6. So he has that vision of this first king, that of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom. But what happens to that kingdom? All right. So verse 4. The first was like a lion, had uh, eagle's wings, and I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon its feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast. So the second king. A second like unto a bear. And it raised up itself on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth uh, between its teeth of it. And uh, they said, uh, thus unto it, arise and devour much flesh. So this is the kingdom of Media Persia, or what we would call the Persian Empire. So that's the second kingdom. All right, verse uh, 6, And after this, behold, and lo, another, like a leopard, which uh, had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. And the beast had also uh, four heads, and dominion was given to it. All right, now... Chapter 8, which we're not going to get to today, takes time to go into great detail about this third kingdom. And the four heads, all right, so this is Alexander the Great in the kingdom of Greece. And when he died tragically at the age of 33, he had no descendants. And so guess what they did to the Greek empire? They divided it up into four sections among his generals. And so that's the, the four heads that are represented there. All right, and so then uh, verse 7. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had, what? Ten horns. All right, so we're going to have a lot of symbolic language, but we can figure this out as we go through. Now, verse 17, why we started there is because it gives us the basic framework to look at this. The four beasts are four kings. Um, so this is the four kings and their kingdoms. Uh, did you know you need three things to have a kingdom? You need a king, you need a realm, and you need subjects, all right? So the king had a kingdom and subjects, and uh, we're going to look at this today. So the fourth kingdom, some Bible prophets uh, study, who study prophecy say that was Rome. Rome could be typical of that fourth kingdom. I'm not so sure. I'm not confident, so I'm just going to say that it's the fourth beast. And why I say I'm not so sure is because what we're going to read in the future. But 
why do we study this again? Well, uh, Jesus referred to the prophet Daniel in his teaching. And I told you already that Daniel has a vision about what's going to happen to Israel in the future. But when it was destroyed, Israel was destroyed in 586 until this very morning when you're sitting in this room. Even until Jesus come back. This period of time is called the times of the Gentiles. Where the Gentiles control the Jewish people. Israel has really not had any autonomy since 586 BC. Gentile powers have controlled it. So what we're going to learn about in this message today is there will be a fifth kingdom that comes and defeats these other four kingdoms as they're replaced, defeats the fourth kingdom, and sets up the eternal kingdom. And we'll, we'll discuss that. But if you would, just uh, in passing, you might want to turn to Luke 21, verse 24. Um, I'm going to read verse 23 through 25. And Jesus said this, warning the Jewish people from the book of Daniel. He says, But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people, the Jewish people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. So do you hear some of that figurative language for humanity? Seas and waves, all right? So that's some of that in there. But Jesus said, there's going to be a time of trouble for Israel like you've never imagined. How many of you think the Holocaust was horrible? All right, it's going to happen again to Israel, and that's not good. All right, time like they've a time of trouble like they've never had before, and Jesus warned them, and he says that's the time of the Gentiles. That's how the Jewish people will be treated by the Gentile nations. We're not going to treat them kindly. So that's a significant period of time that's destined to. Uh, be in place and that fourth and final kingdom will then be defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see that as we go through our text today. So God's original purpose then for the nation of Israel be, will be reestablished. All right. Now, isn't it interesting the contrast between chapter two and chapter seven? Nebuchadnezzar views all of these kingdoms as beautiful, shiny metals, right? And something to be looked at in awe. Daniel, as a prophet, takes God's view and says, human governments that are not under the influence of God are like ravenous beasts. You know why God created human government? Romans 13. To take care of people, to protect them. 
And their authority is derived from God. It's not inherent that they get to rule. Okay? It comes from the Lord. And uh, I think this is where we're going astray in our nation today. People who get into office think that they're owed that position for some reason. And people need to do what they say. Um, well, that's not how it works, right? Uh, authority is given by God. All right, I digress. Um, but what this passage is going to tell us is that God is in charge of history. Some people have said that history is his story. You'll figure that out. History, his story, okay? And uh, so God is sovereign. And our theme throughout the book of Daniel is that we are secure, we're safe in God's sovereign hands. So if God is laying out a panorama of future events, and he says, at the end of it all, I'm the king of kings. I control these things. Then what we're going through as a nation, really, we can have peace during unsettled times. Because we know that God is in control. All right, so let's look here um, at some points that I just want to point out to you here. The big idea, today's Labor Day, but I want you to come away from here not laboring, but rather resting, all right? Being at peace because you're secure in God's sovereign hands. That's our big idea for today. So the, the message here is about these four kingdoms and a fifth kingdom, but in verses one through eight, we, we see the dream of the four kingdoms. And the bottom line that we learn from this is that we can rest in God's sovereign plan. Do you know that um, Steve Jobs, the, one of the guys that was there with Apple, he hated operating systems that you had to go back into and write patches for. He loathed Microsoft, all right? And uh, whenever a product from Apple was going forward, he was just absolutely insane about it being perfect from the launch, trying to conceive of every possibility that could happen with that product. And therefore they put out a superior product because they're trying to think of all of the scenarios and, and things that would go into that product that could that product could interact with so they put out a good product and that's why i like apple iphones all right just my personal preference now you know right but um they had a good product they still do now god was not caught off guard when eve went chop god didn't sit in heaven and go oh no now what all right, God knew before the foundation of the world, the end of everything, because he's all knowing. So God took it all in at once. And so God has a sovereign plan. Before he ever made humanity, before he ever formed the terrestrial ball that we're on and hung it in space, God knew the end from the beginning. He can take it all in. And so his sovereign plan is not going to be thwarted. There's no one that can say to God, you got it wrong, you need to stop. 
I'm in charge now. All right? No, that's not how it works. And so that's why we can rest, because we have a sovereign God who's in control. He's showing us how this all ends, that he has a plan, that he knows what he is doing. Isn't it nice to follow a leader when they know what they're doing? All right? God knows what he's doing, so we can have then peace and rest in his sovereign plan. All right. It has turned into God's frozen clicker. Could you advance the next one for me there, please? Is that going to work? There we go. All right. So now let's look at the dream of the fifth kingdom, verses 9 through 14. And we're back in Daniel chapter 7 if I had you go somewhere else. Verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days. What did he do? He did it. So these four kingdoms, those thrones, they're cast down. It's the ancient of days who's acting in the affairs of man. You know what's so dangerous about a country and a state that won't acknowledge God? God can cast it down. He has throughout history and he will again because we know what's going on. So he's cast it down. Um, and the ancient of days did it, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head uh, like pure wool. And uh, his throne was like a fiery flame uh, and which is a burning fire. Now, Daniel chapter seven through the end is what kind of literature? Prophetic literature. What's the last book of the Bible called? The revelation of Jesus Christ, it's prophetic literature. When you're reading the book of Daniel, you should read its companion book, the book of Revelation. Because when you do, the description of the ancient of days in verse 9 is the same description that's given in the book of Revelation. You have no doubt about who this person is, the ancient of days. All right, so verse 10, a fiery stream. Uh, issued and came forth from before him. Thousands upon thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. Uh, thus judgment was set, and the books were opened. Oh, so many things found in the book of Revelation are right here in verse 10. Revelation 20 is about the books that are opened. Um, Revelation 5, Revelation 7, the thousands upon thousands, the ten thousands upon ten thousands. An innumerable multitude were singing praises to the lamb that was slain. So like I said, when you read Daniel, read Revelation. They go hand in hand. Uh, and that's just how God works because it's his plan. It's his book, right? That makes sense. And so this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I beheld because of the voice of the great words... Uh, which uh, the horn spake. And I beheld, even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given uh, into the burning flame. Now, as concerning the rest of the beasts, uh, they had their dominion taken away and their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So, who sets a person in a place of power? It's God. 
Why is Gavin Newsom the governor of California? Because God wanted him in that place. Why are our county supervisors who they are? Because God has put them in that place. Authority is derived from God. It's a gift from him. And he's sovereign. He can also take it away. You see, we get all worked up because we think we're electing people. Well, God's already appointed them, right? We're just instruments of God's will. And so God has done this, and, but he does spare them. All right, now verse 13. I saw in the night of visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, uh, which shall be, shall not be destroyed. So the ancient of days gives to the Son of Man an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. All right, so how do the Lord teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy thy kingdom come. And we see many passages of scripture where the father gives the kingdom to the son. Now I find it very interesting um, for Jewish people who struggle with the Trinity, all right, or multiple uh, persons in the Godhead. Here's a clear reference in Daniel chapter seven to two persons at least in the Godhead the ancient of days and the son of man. The term son of man was a favorite term of Jesus that he referred to himself all the time as the son of man. As a matter of fact, at his trial, Jesus told the religious leaders who were persecuting him, who were beating him, he said, nevertheless, you will see the son of man coming in the clouds of glory. And when they heard him say that, they came unglued. They ripped their robes and said, you blaspheme! And they said, you are making yourself out to be God. Because only God is the son of man. And so that was one of the things that was the final nail on the cross for Jesus. In their mind, he had committed blasphemy and he was definitely worthy of death. Because he claimed the title that Daniel said the son of man received an eternal kingdom. And they looked at that and they said, that's God. You made yourself out to be God. Well, that was Jesus' favorite term for himself. And he almost used that exclusively in the gospels. So when you're reading the gospels and you see the son of man, it's coming from the book of Daniel chapter seven. The first reference I think here we see the Son of Man having a kingdom. And so this is Daniel 7, 14. So we can rest in God's sovereign kingdom. All right, so the first Sunday of the month. Hey, isn't that today, by the way? Uh-oh, what happened to communion? Um, oh, I know what happened. It's not their fault. It's mine because I don't remember. The holiday. We're doing it next Sunday. Okay, that's what's going on. But 
I digress, but the point of the communion table is this. It is a feast of remembrance and then also a feast of anticipation because Jesus said, I will not drink of this cup of the vine until when? When I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Do you see how we're tied into this? All right. So we're anticipating the fulfillment in our communion. We're anticipating the fulfillment of verse 14. When we see Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we can rest in God's sovereign kingdom. And so here we're secure in God's sovereign hands. Would you say that with me? Just not the big idea, but the, the phrase underneath that. Rest because you are secure in God's sovereign hands. All right. Now, the dream of the Antichrist and the Christ. And this is the remainder of the chapter, beginning in verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved uh, in my spirit, in the midst of my body, and the vision of my head troubled me. Now it's turned into a nightmare. All right? He, he's bothered. He's unsettled. He's, he's anxious about this. It's impacting him on the inside, folks. He's involved. He's engaged in this. Are you engaged in prophecy? Are you engaged in this? So verse 16. I came near unto one of those, uh, them that stood by, and asked the truth of all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Ah, see, keep reading. It'll be made known to you. Daniel didn't have the ability to understand. He had to have help. We don't understand. We have to have the revelation of God's word given to us. We have to have the help of the Holy Spirit to give us insight. So then the explanation begins. Uh, these great beasts, uh, which you saw are four, are four kings, uh, which were uh, coming, arise, they came out of the earth. All right. So the four kings and their kingdoms. So the angel was explaining it to him. Now verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Hey, that sounds like good news to a Jew who's in captivity, whose heart's bothering him, who's emotionally disturbed by his dream. It's turned into a nightmare. Calm down, Daniel. Your people are going to have an everlasting kingdom. Then Daniel says in verse 19, Then would I know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his uh, nails of brass, which devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. So what was, the, what was unsettled, Daniel? What was the nightmare about? The fourth kingdom, the fourth king. It really disturbed him. And he says, can you tell me more about this fourth kingdom, please? I've got to know. I need, I need to know. That's what's going on in verse 19. Now, verse 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the others which came up, and before whose uh, three fell, 
even of them that were born had, uh, I'm sorry, even of that uh, were born that had eyes and a mouth that spoke very great things, uh, whose look was more about, uh, let's see here, more stout than his fellows. All right, so this beast that comes up has 10 horns on it. Pointy, scary looking thing. And then an emphasis is going to be upon one of these horns that develops and it is superior to the others. All right, so at this point, go back to chapter 2. Daniel saw the fourth kingdom and it had 10 toes. All right. Here we see 10 horns. Do you see the similarity between the two? All right. So just so you understand that and you see that. And um, verse 21, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So let me ask you the question. In verse 21, who are the saints? Not, not Christians. It's Jews. Okay. It's the Jewish people. And so this king is making war against the Jews. Now, Daniel might have an opportunity to get unsettled again. Ah! So, verse 22, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Whew. Good. All right. Then he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. All right, so now you know I'm not making this up. This is not something that, you know, I had a bad dream. All right, so this is where it's coming from. And so the fourth beast is the fourth kingdom upon the earth, uh, which will be diverse from all kingdoms. And here it says it shall devour the whole earth and shall tread down and break in pieces. This is not the kingdom that you want to be a subject of. What's the purpose of government in Romans 13? To protect its people. What is this governing official doing to his people and to the people of the earth? All right. Punishing, brutal, vicious, cruel. All right. Despot. So that's not God's intended purpose of government. So this is someone who is against God's purposes. That's anti. All right. And the 10 horns out of uh, this kingdom are what? Verse 24. What does it say? What are the 10 horns? 10 kings. Oh, so we don't have to work hard to interpret this, do we? It's right there. So now, 10 kings. So, how many kings does this kingdom have? 10. Okay? It has 10 horns. This final beast has 10 horns. This kingdom has 10 kings. All right? But let's keep reading. That shall arise and, and shall devour after them. Okay? They're diverse from one another. And... Uh, now notice verse 24, what happens, okay? That shall arise and another 
shall rise after them and shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out what? Who? Wear out the saints. Who, who are the saints? The Jewish people. They're having their trouble again. So here's ten horns, and this one king comes to preeminence. Somehow he defeats the other three kings, and he rises to great power. And when he's in that position, he pushes hard against Israel. He's making war against them. He's persecuting them. He's trying to destroy the people of God. He hates them. And so he's trying to destroy the saints of the, of the Most High. Um, and then it says here, and shall think to change times and laws, uh, and they shall be given into his hand until a time, what, a times and the dividing of time. All right, time, times, and a dividing of time. Let's just make that simple. A year, two years, and then the dividing of times is a year. So seven years, okay? Daniel will bring that up again in the future in the number of days. So the, the time of tribulation, three and a half years. The, I'm sorry, I said seven, I meant three and a half. The, the three and a half years of great tribulation, of great trial for Israel, the day of Jacob's trouble. So Israel's going to have a holocaust for three and a half years. Verse 26. But... Conjunctions are nice. The kingdom, but the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. So praise God for the buts in the word of God, right? But his kingdom is going to be taken away. A time of judgment is going to come upon him. When you read the book of Revelation, what happens to the Antichrist? He's cast into the lake of fire. Verse 27, And the kingdoms and dominion and the greatness of the king's um, kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Who's that? It's the Jewish people. They will have their kingdom. But there's going to be great trial and adversity for the Jews before they get to that kingdom whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him so Jesus Christ will sit as the sovereign king Revelation 19 you can read it he has a name written on his thigh the king of kings and the lord of lords Paul said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ, both now and forever. Amen. So the kingdom of Christ will not end. So verse 28, hitherto is the end of the matter. So his dream is done. As far uh, as me, Daniel... My imaginations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. 
It was a heavy burden that God gave to him. As a Jew, I'm sure he was saddened because he knows that for his people, they're going to go through a great time of adversity before they actually get to that everlasting kingdom. So what can we do? Well, I think we can pray for Israel. And if you know a Jewish co-worker, a Jewish neighbor, pray for them. Because I can guarantee you the devil does not like Jews. He doesn't. He wants to destroy them. Practical thing. Don't be racist just because somebody is a Jew. Right? There's a lot of that in our world today. Just because somebody's Jewish, right? They get treated differently. Let's not go there. Right? Pray for the Jewish people. But then hold this in your heart. Now, you can rest in God's sovereign king. He has a kingdom. He has a sovereign plan. So we don't have to get all worked up about political events and be in turmoil about things. All right? God knows what he's doing. We can follow that. But now, since you know the outcome and the manner of this, that all earthly kingdoms will be subjugated and put down, and there's only one king that's left, my question for you is this. What is your relationship with this king? Psalms 2 says, kiss the son lest he be angry with thee. In other words, humble yourself before him. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Have you believed on him? Is he the king of your life? So Daniel's dream. What do we take all away from this? Well, we are secure in God's sovereign hands. But if you don't know him, will you be like the Antichrist who was cast into the flames, cast into judgment? There is a judgment day coming. This is the beauty of God's justice, that all the wrong, he makes it right. He punishes wickedness and he exalts righteousness. So are you living a righteous life? Are you ready for that judgment day? So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an ABC. Admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that you cannot save yourself, that only Jesus Christ can. And C, call upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.